Amen. You may be seated. I might you to turn uh, in your copy of God's Word. Open up to Luke chapter 4. Kind of at the midway point of chapter 4 in our study. Jesus, uh, as a reminder, has made his way, uh, if you maybe would describe it this way, into enemy territory. Uh, he's headed, uh, last week we, we covered at the beginning of chapter 4 where he's been baptized and now he, at the beginning of his public ministry, is, uh, is heading out into the wilderness for 40 days. Uh, it was a time of loneliness and hunger. Uh, he didn't eat during that time. He encountered uh, different threats. It, it was not, by the way, just to prove something, as, as if he was the ultimate man, the survivalist. Uh, this isn't uh, alone. Some of you watched that reality TV show. Uh, he, he's not trying to prove uh, his skill set as, uh, as, as a man of the wilderness and survival. And, and then on the other end of the extreme, it's also not just a, a, a spiritual moral tale, a story of how to encounter temptation against the, the devil. It's not primarily that either. It's not just a, an instruction or a guide to that. What we see, and we talked about this last week, is Jesus is heading out to do business uh, with the devil, with the, with the enemy, the father of lies. And he's encountering him, and he is actually dealing a, an initial death blow, an initial uh, you know, advance against the enemy. We're told in 1 John uh, 3, verse 8, that the reason that Jesus appeared is to destroy the works of the devil. That's good news. That is, that's really good news. And uh, that's, that is well underway even now because of his life, death, and resurrection. It's still going on. He is putting, he is subduing uh, his and our enemies as, as Christ the King he is. He is showing victory and authority in that work over the kingdom of darkness. He is showing, just again by way of reminder, in that uh, initial victory over temptation, that he is greater than the first Adam. The first Adam, the first representative head, who, who with him all of us sinned, that he is the second Adam and representative, is succeeding and is showing victory in precisely the area and realm and way that the first Adam failed to do so. And so we are now uh, enjoying uh, bringing into focus. Now Jesus has to face more threats. This time it's from kind of a uh, an unpredicted, you know, surprise realm. He's in his hometown. He's in Nazareth. This is how Luke arranged his gospel. This isn't necessarily chronological, nor is it intended to be. But this is what he has, has pieced together for us to appreciate now next as he heads into the, uh, to the northern region near his hometown. The title of my sermon this morning is A Controversial Sermon. Uh, that, that, that's not because of anything I intend to do this morning. I mean, you might find it uh, offensive or controversial, and, and that's just too bad. But it's really because Jesus here, obviously, you're going to read and we're going to see, is, uh, is, is enraging people with his words. Side note, before we go into that and look at it, that there's, a, there's an emphasis that Luke chooses, and I, I want to highlight this at our particular point. You can look for it and, and anticipate it in future weeks. Okay, So Luke, as he compiles this gospel, he's not a biographer, by the way. He is an evangelist telling a message and conveying something of Jesus, the person at work. But he also has got an emphasis uh, that I think we, we can appreciate, and that is the person of God, the Holy Spirit. Chapter one, it says that Mary, uh, it's it's well for Elizabeth, too, is uh, the child in her womb. John the Baptist Baptist will be uh, also filled with the spirit. But we're, we're told that Mary will conceive a child. Jesus would be his name and it would be conceived by 
the Holy Spirit. He, Holy Spirit. Then we're told in chapter 2 that Jesus finds his way uh, to the temple prompted by the Spirit. Chapter 3, Jesus, we're told, would baptize. John, John says he will baptize with fire and with the Spirit. And then after Jesus is baptized, what happens? The heavens open, which is a way to say the skies. There's a dove that descends as a, a form of manifestation of God, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus is filled with the Spirit. Then the beginning of chapter 4, it says, verse 1, and Jesus full of the Holy Spirit. Then, then we're going to see right here in our text today as well. Again, it's the Spirit of God uh, that will be uh, leading him. And then even as we're going to read here in a moment, he says that he has the Spirit of the Lord upon him. Let me invite you to stand as we read this account in deference to God's word in honor of it. Verse 14, Luke 4, verse 14. Hear this, God's word. Jesus returned, again, here we are, in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and he was... And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He enrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, quote, The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll Gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And then they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum did... Do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. When the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. And none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. And when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of a a hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. This is God's word. You may be seated. Why don't we ask for his help? Lord, you know us. Each and every one here, you know us through and through. And you know that we need uh, your guidance. So I pray that by the light uh, and the help and the aid and the counsel of your Holy Spirit, that we would come to appreciate truth and lay by faith to the hope of your word. Lord, would you please, Holy Spirit, come and point us away from sin and point us away from vain and shallow things so that for this moment we might hear from you and see and behold things of eternal weight of glory. For Christ's sake, in the beautiful name that we sang of, Amen. Some of you, um, some of you own cars. Some of you have been in cars that have this uh, this this newfangled technology of you know driver assist, helping you with the lane or even braking for you. I mean, this is you know this is beyond cruise control. 
uh, now it's you know you can you can accelerate and brake and 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 even steer the car because of these uh, you know new technologies. I mean, as a kid, I, I I never would have dreamed of a day that there would be an electric car that drives itself. I mean, it's just it's it really was inconceivable. But lo and behold, uh, a couple of years ago, I think in 2019, maybe you heard this story or other stories uh, similar to it. But there's a guy who's from Boston and he's driving on the Massachusetts Turnpike. And uh, and he has to do a double take because he looks over into the car next to him and driving at 55 miles an hour. And there are two people in the front seat and they're both asleep. Now, it's not it's not it's not even doubtful, like it's just lounge back. The guy who's in the driver's seat has got his head like completely down. It's not even nodding like he is conked out 55 miles an hour on the Massachusetts Turnpike. Now, I, I mean, it's hard for me to imagine. Uh, I mean, one time I, I, I rented an SUV that had this, you know, this, this steering capability to keep you in lane. And, and it was kind of cool for about 10 seconds to take your hands off the wheel. But I, I mean, I can't imagine being so comfortable and familiar with this uh, that I would actually, you know, just let it drive, let alone fall asleep. Right. But, I, but, you know, who knows? You know, over time, maybe maybe I'll become, you know, maybe I'll own a car like this someday. And maybe I'll become so familiar and comfortable with it that I will trust it. Once you become familiar with something, it is easier to trust it. It's also easy to neglect as you become familiar safety. True, right? Our, our family, uh, we've been getting some into uh, indoor climbing. And there's an indoor climbing gym that's, you know, that's 65 feet tall. It's a lot of fun. You go there. And, and one of the things they teach you in the belay class, which is the, the person at, at the base, you know, assisting with the rope. And they have a device and they're, they're keeping you from, you know, from falling. And uh, that, that's reassuring, uh, typically, unless, you know, you're like a 40-something-year-old man, 60 feet up, and your, your 11-year-old daughter is down the ground, you know, operating this device. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> well, anyway, in the belay class, I, I do trust her. I did do this. True story. But in the belay class, they teach you, 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 you not only check your gear and you check the knot, but you do a double cross check. Because it's more reliable if you look at your, you know, your setup and then you look over and see that that not and then they look at yours and they look at their. So there's this double that day. I I probably did maybe like a quadruple check. But anyway, you get the point because sometimes you're just so familiar with going through the motions that you might miss something by way of safety. I highlight this this morning to say my hope is that in our in our familiarity with Jesus and the stories of Scripture that we would not let that inhibit our ability to stand in awe and worship of the person and the work of Jesus, his worthiness. His go- I mean, even as we sang the song, what a beautiful name. I just kept thinking, but sometimes it's just, just, it's just a familiar name. You know what I'm saying? And, and I hope that this morning w- the familiarity won't eclipse anything for us. Two things that I see going on here, by and large, there's there's just two headings here. There's marveling at Jesus's explanation. And then at the opposite extreme, there's raging at Jesus's application of the word. So Jesus, there's marveling here as he is in the synagogue and and he's explaining the scripture. In verse 16, it says that he's back in his hometown of Nazareth in his would be the custom uh, for uh, for those to to gather on Sabbath on the Saturday in the synagogue, 
We don't know the exact worship practices uh, during that era and time. But based on some study, you could kind of piece together that, uh, you know, obviously an important portion of it would be as people are all seated, then they would stand as they would bring out the scroll. They didn't have, you know, binding with books. And so the scrolls uh, that were kept in a special place were brought out that the reading of the Hebrew Bible, the word of God would be, uh, you know, a big event. And, and they would stand for that. And then everyone after finished would sit down, even the speaker. But all eyes, just like it was here, any any qualified male could could, you know, expound uh, from a portion of that scripture that was read. And it's Jesus and everyone's got their eyes fixed on him. Now, we don't know if Jesus picked the prophet Isaiah or if it was picked for him, but he, being familiar with it, navigated right to what was our reading, the chapter uh, today in Isaiah 61. And he also he also quotes also from another verse, just one from Isaiah uh, chapter 58. This may have been a familiar text to many of them uh, who were listening. It was a prophetic word about Messiah to come, right? Uh, and an anticipation. And then uh, what what happens after uh, he reads this? <laughs> well, let, let's just go back and look at it. It, it. I think it's worth it, right? Let's let's carefully look here. Rolled up the scroll, verse 20, gave it back to the attendant, sat down. All eyes are fixed in the synagogue on him. And what does he say? Verse 22. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Wow. Talk about the ultimate Mic drop. You're looking at it. It's me. Look no further. All that was read, all that is hoped for and promised here, all of this is me. It's me. Now, before we look at their reaction... And how it was received. Let's just consider some of what Jesus said here. What, what, what it is that's part of his work. That Isaiah had, had prophesied. Four groups. This is part of Jesus' mission here. He's saying there's, there's four groups that are, are captured in these two verses. There's uh, the poor. There are the captives. The blind. And the oppressed. Now, the expectation in in their particular day in particular for the Messiah was that he would be someone who would be a political and social force uh, that would, would, you know, would give them deliverance. And and who can blame them? Maybe they were under the oppression and the power of of Rome. But Jesus's ministry is not even as some modern people would like to believe and understand it. He's not trying to. To now spring upon them a, a view of political and social action. Now, without a doubt, there is clearly a big portion of Jesus's ministry born out of compassion and authority uh, to go and to do these very things. To, to give sight to the blind. To uh, feed people who are hungry. There's, without a doubt, there are people that are oppressed by demonic evil spirits and Jesus delivers them from that. He will heal. He will give sight. And all of that that he performs by way of miracles isn't the totality of his work, but it's an important piece of it indeed because it would validate his authority. It would, it would also illustrate the great hope of a day when the, the, the kingdom would come and all of these things would start to happen in, in, in total. It, you know, for all of the people of God, 
there would be no more hunger. Or there would be uh, no more threat of demonic uh, oppression or, or, or any oppression. Any form of conflict. That's a great hope. The beautiful day. He shows compassion, pointing us to the great day, the great hope when he would reverse the curse. But some of those miraculous works were also physical signs to point to a spiritual reality and need. Right? There was something in view. And that is, we are also spiritually blind. And we are spiritually impoverished. And we are, we are spiritually under the oppression of, of, of sin and darkness and the kingdom of the God of this age. But the primacy here of Jesus' ministry is very clear. And if you just look at the verbs, you can see it over and over again. It says, proclaim. Three times here it says, proclaim good news. To the poor, to proclaim liberty, to proclaim, again, verse 19, something. So Jesus, Jesus's primary ministry is is preaching and declaring something. One of the reasons I think, and this is just one, there are many others. Jesus is not standing up saying, I'm beginning a a social and political revolution now when when we reference these verses is because he says that. The, the fulfilling of, of, for instance, the Messiah giving liberty to uh, the captives, right? Because, you know, it, it can't be that in your hearing today that's happened and it, it be a literal physical thing. Because I don't know of any place in the New Testament that records that Jesus actually took someone who was physically imprisoned behind bars and let them and released them. And in fact, it's the, actually the opposite, because we're going to read in a few weeks in Luke chapter 7, John the Baptist is imprisoned and he, he sends his followers, his messengers to Jesus say, are you really the Messiah? Because I'm having my doubts. I'm in prison. And he does not release him from prison. So obviously we're looking at something also spiritual when, when Jesus fulfills this ministry that is pointing us to the fact that we have a great need spiritually. Jesus is proclaiming the message of the kingdom, the coming of the king. What, what do you expect of Jesus? Because their expectations are obviously off because they're, 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 they're perplexed and then, and then as we'll find, uh, you know, upset. But what, what do you expect of Jesus as, it inter, as he intersects your life? Maybe he's not intersecting your life. Maybe he is just kind of out on the periphery in, in, in word or in theory or in, 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 the, in your past. But, but right now. What, what is it that you expect of Jesus? Is it relational peace? Is it freedom from loneliness? Is it, the, is it financial prosperity? Is it, is it, is it health? N- none of those are bad desires, but ultimately, how have we responded to Jesus? How did they respond to Jesus? Because I, they are clearly moved... At his gracious words, but they're not convinced. They can marvel at him here as he's speaking in synagogue, but they're not persuaded. As I heard one pastor put it, they don't have any beef with Jesus, but at the same time, they don't have any relationship with him. Think about that. But then it begins to shift from amazement to confusion for them. They're perplexed. Wait, 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 wait. You're telling, he's, he's Joseph's son. 
He can't be the Messiah. He's from our group. He's, there's, nothing, there's nothing extraordinary. As I heard one other person put it well, they were too familiar with him to be overly impressed. And Jesus, he floats out there a proverb to them. Look at it in verse 24. The proverb of that day, you know, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. Another way that sometimes we capture it in our context, we say familiarity breeds contempt. Or in this case, familiarity breeds unbelief. It's it's their proximity and familiarity that's part of the problem. They're close to Jesus and it actually is making it hard for them to see Jesus for who he really is. Where, where are we? Where, you know, again, I, 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 I'm just confessing, even in my own heart, I think I, I, I sing about Jesus. I, you know, I, you know I, I think about these topics and I don't want it to be so familiar that I don't really embrace with great awe and worship who he is. It's a dangerous place to be. Lots of church, you know, lots of scripture, songs that we sing. But it should press us. It it should press me more into worship and relationship and deeper joy and trust in Jesus. Well, back to our text as quickly as they marvel at Jesus, they quickly go to the opposite extreme, right? That's where we see this raging at Jesus's application. They were okay with some of the explanation and marveled, but then they begin raging. Jesus is applying the word. And verse 28, they are appalled. They are filled with anger, wrath, it says. The the entirety of the synagogue is, is angry. He returns to two stories from the work in, in, in telling them of, of the prophet Elijah and Elisha. Now, we don't have time to unpack both of those accounts, but just briefly, the, the first one is the widow at Zarephath, which you can go back and read on your own in 1 Kings chapter 17. This woman is, is truly economically destitute. Socially, she's in a very bad place. She is a widow. There's currently a famine and drought that's going on. And to make matters worse, in her predicament, she's, she's a mom. With a son. And, and she doesn't, she hasn't, they're, they're, they are starving liter, literally, okay? And all she has, Elijah comes to her, all she has, and he asks for it, is, is, is you know, is what she has, you know, in, this, in these, two, uh, these two items for food. The, the exact word is the flour in a jar, and all, all I have is a little oil in a jug. And Elijah says, go ahead and give it to me. It, but she says, I, I'm only going to make one more meal for us to eat. And then we just, my son and I are going to die. And he says, no, it will never be empty. And miraculously, this continues to provide food for them and sustains them. Now, let, let's, let's now travel to the opposite end of the, of the, you know, the economic spectrum. To the other story that he highlights from Elisha, which you can go and read in 2 Kings 5. Naaman, 
uh, was one of the king's officials, a top general. He, he, was, he clearly would have been a person of influence, power, and wealth. He, he's favored by the king. He, he travels with a big, you know, with chariots and, a, a, you know, an entourage with goods and money. And they're ready to go to the prophet Elisha, who doesn't even come out of his house. And Naaman is a, is a leper and he wants to be healed. He, he's heard about Elisha. And he, he says to him, you just go down to the, to, the, to the River Jordan and wash yourself. And it would have been a humbling, you know, kind of thing. That's all you want me. I'm, I'm, I came here with money. To give, no, just go down to the river and wash yourself. And he is healed of leprosy. But then, just to highlight two things about these people, by the way. Even though they're, they're, one's rich and one's poor, ultimately both of them are poor because they perceive and clearly know their need. They're desperate. But both of them are outsiders. They were not Jews. They were not part of the covenant community. They were not part of the chosen people. And so for Jesus now to re-highlight that st- those two stories and say, guess what? There were a ton of widows and, and God chose by the prophet Elijah to go to one who was outside of the community. And God chose Naaman. When there could have been many lep- other lepers healed within the covenant community, he didn't do it. And what is he saying at that point? He is saying, he is saying to them in the synagogue, if you thought... What you heard of me doing in Capernaum with, with healing and other benefits of being Messiah. And now I'm telling you, fulfilled this day in your hearing, it will not apply to you because I can't do it. The unbelief is, is staggering to Jesus. And so he's saying it won't apply to you. Jesus came to his own, John writes, and his own rejected him. He perceives their hearts. He knows. He says, forget it. The pride, the presumption. You missed it. And what happens? Verse 28. And they rose up and drove him out of the town, took him to the brow of a cliff. I mean, every last one of them is so enraged to suggest that they they won't be the beneficiaries of Messiah's ministry. These outsiders. It's proof of human Depravity here, frankly. I mean, that, without any violent threat or provocation, clearly uh, they're ready to just take Jesus, even though all he's doing is proclaiming truth and then applying it, obviously in a way they didn't want, want it to be applied, that they are willing to go into a full on rage. Now, we don't have a clue how Jesus escaped this, verse 30, but somehow he made his way out. But I think it's because. Ultimately, he has the authority. He has a mission. He's been preserved. It's even told of us in John 10, verse 18. No one takes my life from me. There wouldn't have been any accident that day. Oh, 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 he just fell off the cliff. He got, he got launched off there. I mean, it was, it was ordained that he would, he would survive many threats because he chose to follow on mission. No one takes it from me. John 8, John 10, 18, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. And he did, didn't he? He did lay down his life. Willfully, obediently, lovingly. Michael Card, one of my 
favorite Christian artist talks about how they didn't need the nails on the cross. His love would have held him there. He lays down his life. For us, his undeserving enemies. Here's some questions just to connect to our life ever, ever so briefly as we close. First one is, what do you expect from Jesus? Now, hopefully not co-pilot and, 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 and hopefully not autopilot. Um, and, and hopefully not just the, 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 the blessing you know, dispenser. Maybe Jesus will alter your expectations. Maybe he will meet, but maybe he will exceed in ways that you didn't anticipate those expectations. It doesn't matter. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the God man alone. And we ought to stand in awe. And I, I, again, this leads to my next question. Are you too familiar with Jesus? I mean, of course I want you to study and learn and, and grasp and grow and, and increase in understanding. I, I do too. I, 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 I sense it in my own heart that I, there are times I'm just, it, it's, it's, it doesn't ring unique and fresh and new to follow him and to be surrendered in relationship to him. Embracing him for who he really is. The last, the, the next question I would ask is, are you too wealthy to trust Jesus? I mean, do you, let me put it another way. Do you see yourself as needy? Because Jesus, uh, it's not hard to make the case that Jesus prefers the poor. And that's not anyone in the United States. Virtually. Jesus prefers the poor in the Bible. And I, I, not that anything's intrinsically wrong with, with wealth, but it's so often that being poor materially has, has an, an ability to press us in with sensitivity to our, our need. That we are not self-sustaining, self-sufficient, and that, that wealth, wealth is deceitful. The Bible says that. It says that. Jesus says that the deceitfulness of riches. Last question, how do you feel about Jesus delivering people and ministering and freeing and loving and 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 blessing people not like you? Not like us. Cuz that's this is this is the this is the the nub of the rage. It's not, the, it's not the doing, it's who's receiving this ministry that enrages them. Now, it may not be rage, but it may be a confusion as if, but they're a good guy. They're, they're like educationally, you know, financially, culturally, you know, fill in the blank. You know, how do you feel about politics like me? Ooh, good people. Us. Does it bother you? I, I, I know. I, I, it, it, for me, I, I know there are times when I look out and I, 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 I estimate who is deserving and who is undeserving. Have mercy on us, Lord. Jesus comes to those who are brokenhearted enough to confess their need and to yield their trust to him. Let's pray. Father, what an immense privilege it is to call you that. We have every reason to serve you as Father. Please, Father, help us to be imitators of our older brother, Jesus. 
clear out our hearts and our minds. They can be so cluttered and confused. Sometimes we're just too familiar. And Lord, we want to hear and see and perceive and worship you with awe, King Jesus, in a new and fresh way. Help us this week to walk by faith under your love as your children, as your ambassadors, uh, as a light to the nations. The Jews couldn't see it as going to the nations. Lord, help us to be ambassadors to the nations, to pray for the, the advancement of the gospel to people and places that even that we might perceive as unworthy. Lord, we are not worthy. We have needs. We have great needs. Lord, help us to not be deceived by riches, to trust in our own strength and flesh and resources. Lord, everything that we have is a gift from you. Lord, help us to be a good news people in, in a really bad news world. Help us to be humble. Help us to be unified in a world that's arrogant and, and, and tremendously divided. Lord, I pray that you uh, would be uh, in our country and in countries around the world, especially with leadership as they try to, to navigate uh, these, these crazy times and, and the threats that still abound. Lord, for those in our community that are facing unique trials, even affliction, Right now, we pray that you would grant your comfort and your endurance. Physically, emotionally, Lord, have mercy. We know we look forward to a day with great anticipation, growing anticipation by faith, when there will be no more tears, there will be no more conflict, there will be no cancer. There will be Worship, and we will see you face to face, and we will know you even as we are fully known. Oh, what a great thought. Hear us as we pray. As we pray in the name of